Well, hello, everybody. Hey. Well, God's speaking this morning already. Isn't it great? Yeah. Thanks for the worship team for leading us in that time of prayer and worship. It's, it's exciting to be here with you. Um, we had a snow week. My children were home three days this week. Um, when I was their age, they didn't close the schools until you couldn't open the school doors. Bop, 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 bop. But yeah, they were home. It was raining outside. And I was like, okay, well, it's Christmas break again, guys. Hope you're having fun. <laughs> so hope your week was okay and uh, you were traveling safely. We're, uh, we're carrying on with our, our series, Way of the Kingdom. I just want to refresh our imaginations with what the scene was uh, Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So he's gathered a group of people. And who did Jesus primarily minister to? Um, Jesus was often preaching to the, the sick. He was often preaching to the less thans. He was often preaching to those for whom the political and religious system wasn't working, people who were oppressed, who are carrying heavy loads. He was, he was preaching to the people who were really on the margins. And um, they were weak, they were unsure, they were poor, they were questioning. And, and so these people, and probably a bunch of other peripheral people who were curious about what he was saying, they gathered a, a, a large crowd of people. And the summary of the sermon so far, let me just do my own paraphrase here. He's saying to this group of people, he says, be assured that you're blessed, even though you don't feel like it. Maybe even especially when you don't feel like it. The proud and the showy people who think they're blessed and that you aren't, they've gotten it all wrong. With God, it's not about the exterior presentations of what we look like, but it's about our heart. That's what matters most. So guard your heart from things like anger and lust. Don't look for ways to get out of your commitments. But fulfill your commitments. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Don't let evil people cause you to respond with more evil. Instead, choose to love your enemies because that's how God has treated you. You don't have to worry about what other people think about you, what they see. Don't try to impress one another with what you do like those religious people do. God sees you. He will reward you and bless you. Storing up more money isn't the solution to all your problems and your worries. God knows about all your needs before you even ask him. Worrying and fretting never solve anything. So trust God. He cares for you. And don't worry about what other people are doing. That's between them and God. Just ask God for what you need. He's a good father. And to sum it all up, treat each other like equals in the family of God. So that's how far we've got in the sermon so far. That's my paraphrase. I'm going to sell that book in the lobby. You can look for that. <laughs> so this was a crowd of worried, anxious people. And what does worry and anxiety do in our lives? It probably doesn't do anything good. It causes us to judge one another. How, how is life going to work out for me? I don't know. It leads us into all kinds of things. And so Pastor Dave talked last week about the, the section just before the one we're going to look at today. It was about judging one another. And the teacher was like, don't judge one another. You don't even try. You can't do that. You got to worry about your own stuff. And don't don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't try to impose good things on people who aren't ready to hear it. And so this section goes into a better way of relating with one another. And we're going to look at that today. And, um, but that, that crowd of worried people reminds me of a, 
a children's story we like to read in our house, and you maybe you know it. It's called You Are Special by Max Licato. And in the story, there's a group of people called the Wemmicks. And they're little wooden people. And the Wemmicks would go around all day long evaluating one another. And if they saw somebody who was especially talented or especially funny, they'd give them a star. But if somebody tripped or fell or said something silly, they gave them a dot. And so all day long, there was an economy of stars and dots and stars and dots. And Punchinello was one of the Wemmicks who couldn't really get it right. He had lots of dots on him. But one day, he met Lucia. And she didn't have any stars or any dots on her. And he said, how come you don't have any stars or dots? And she said, well, when you don't care what the people think of you, the stickers don't stick. You should go visit Eli, the maker, up in his house up there. He'll tell you about it. So Punchinello went off and he visited Eli. And Eli was so delighted that Punchinello came to visit him. Eli told Punchinello that he was special, not because of what other people thought or the things he could do. And he didn't need to worry about what the other Wemex thought because Eli was the one who made him and he thought he was pretty special. And Punchinello had a hard time believing that it was true. But as he left Eli's woodshop to think about it, he started to wonder, maybe this is true. And when he did, a dot fell off. That's the story. Punchinello, the Wemmick, and you are special. Jesus' words to a group of people who are worried and judgmental are a lot like this, that story. When you go to God your Father, you don't have to worry. And worry that leads to all kinds of judgment, that leads to all kinds of sin, that leads to all kinds of having to sort things out on our own, it just seems silly because you've got a good Father who knows your needs and you don't have to fret. And we're living in a world full of worried and judgmental people. We are often worried and judgmental people. And we're often trying to make it on our own. We're often trying to build our own kingdom. We're often trying to sort things out. And then we come to church and we go, Lord, I need you. Yeah, I, do I? <laughs> yeah, I know I should. But I don't know. We, often we're trying to sort it out on our own. And much like the people gathered around Jesus as he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us today that trusting God frees us from all kinds of stuff that weigh us down. And so today we're looking at the next passage uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So my first point is called Prayers, Petitions, and Pesterings. And this passage uh, is often taught as a passage on prayer, and that's what we're going to do today. But there are those who think this is less about prayer, and it's about how we treat one another, how we relate to one another. Because we just talked about not judging one another. We just talked about not trying to harass others into living properly. 
And now it says, ask and seek and knock, which is a totally different posture than imposing or manipulating or trying to control. Um, these are inappropriate ways of relating to others in the kingdom of God. And today's passage talks about an appropriate way that we need to relate with not only God, but with each other. Asking, seeking, knocking, as compared to controlling, imposing, judging. Asking opens people up. Respect opens people up. When I ask, I'm respecting someone's personhood. I'm respecting their ability to say no. I'm respecting their decision-making process. When I manipulate, I'm disrespecting someone's personhood. I'm disrespecting someone's trust. And if someone picks up that I'm maybe trying to manipulate them, they're going to shut right down. And we're not going to get what we think we need or what we think they need. So Jesus is saying, this is the posture of relating in the kingdom of God is respecting, asking, seeking, rather than controlling. Usually our anxiety is what causes us to manipulate or judge. We worry that people won't behave well, so we try to get them to be good on our terms. We worry that things aren't going to work out for us, so we try to make things happen to our benefit. The key to seeing God's will come is to understanding this dynamic of asking and requesting, this, w- this way of relating in the world. It breeds trust. I think God's been speaking all throughout the service. It's really cool. Don said, we won't see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven until we begin to be united. That comes through respecting one another, through treating one another well, with dignity, with worth, with the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. This is God's will. And good communication is central to healthy relationships. And healthy relationships are an indication of spiritual health. This is where I give a plug for a class that I'm presenting here in May called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's asking the question, how can someone be a Christian their whole lives and still be emotionally immature, have dysfunctional relationships. It's because we haven't paid attention to the spirituality of the kingdom of God, about respecting one another, about treating one another well. So anyway, that's the plug for the class. But healthy relationships are an indication of spiritual health. And respecting the dignity of another person to say no is the way of the kingdom. So this relates both to our human relationships as well as our relationship to God. And, it directs, and we're going to direct our attention there today. So there's a childlikeness and humility that comes with being people in prayer. You know, kids, kids need people to do stuff for them, right? I'm not tall enough. Can you reach that for me? I'm not strong enough. Can you open this for me? Um, I don't know how to tie my shoes. Can you teach me? And so it, it implies to a lack of power to need to ask or to need to request something of another person. And this is humbling. And uh, it can be difficult for us as we get older to feel like you know, reaching out for help, the need to depend on someone else. But I want to say that wise people never outgrow their ability to ask for help when they need it. Wise people, successful people, always know when they're out of their depth and they find help somewhere else. And Scripture says that God opposes the proud because the proud can't come to him because they don't know that they need him. The proud won't humble themselves. And so God says, well, what 
How do you expect me to do anything for you if you won't come to me? But he gives grace to the humble. And coming to God takes humility and childlikeness. Jesus indicates that our prayerful relationship to God is like the relationship of a parent to their child. He says, um, if you who are evil, like you're broken and sinful, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your father in heaven? This then is how you should pray, our father in heaven. So when we're thinking about prayer, when we're thinking about life in the kingdom, we need to know that God is our father, we are his children, and it's on these terms alone that we can come to God. I have to know that he's stronger, he's wiser, he's better, he's more loving, and I am less loving, good, kind. And so you cannot come to God in prayer with a proud heart. We can't. It, I can't, it just stops you from doing it. And therefore, God opposes the proud. Because the proud don't know how to ask. So Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. These words can be read to like and imply an escalation of intensity and persistence. And I experienced this in my house when something goes missing. It's usually a phone charger. Anybody else? Like, do your phone chargers just, like, vanish? Um, so someone says, has anyone seen my phone charger? And miraculously, nobody has. Um, <laughs> nobody took it to plug in another device somewhere. So the intensity escalates to seeking. Well, where is it? Where did you, what? And, you know, a surface look of where it could possibly be. And I have a couple conversations with, like, suspected culprits. And, and then, usually, everyone's like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. What is a phone charger? And it escalates even further to, to knocking. Like, well, I'm going into your room, and I'm looking, and you come in here and find, what did you do with it? You know? Um, this is a nod to my wife. Who, this is her daily, daily problem at home. Someone took my charger. There's an escalation in urgency. Jesus encourages us, you know. You know, I, I kind of grew up um, in, in the era or the family dynamic where, like, asking was fine, but if the answer was no, then you just leave it, right? Don't question, don't go further, like, respect the word that's been given and carry on. So I always found it, like, curious in the Bible when I see prayer being encouraged as, like, no, but really, I need this. No, come on, come on. Like, there's a persistence in, in, the, in the biblical teaching on prayer that I found kind of like, well, I don't think God wants to do that. So why, do you, why should we just keep going and going and going? But I, this is the revelation that I'm, I'm coming to, is that God really wants us to persist, to pester, to ask, because here's the thing. God is a person. God is a person. He's not the government. God isn't a law of nature. God isn't a math equation. God is a person. And to relate to a person, we talk to them, we reason with them, we even negotiate with them to talk things out, to see things happen. Okay, well, you said this. Well, can we come to an agreement over here? 
My mind has been blown a bit up on that whole thing. Asking and seeking and knocking. You remember when you were a kid and everything felt urgent? Every little thing was like, and, and if you didn't feel like anyone was listening to you, you were just like, is anyone paying attention to me? You know, back of the car. Parents got the music up. I'm so hot back here, turn the heat down. Right? Everything's urgent. And this is what can be hard about, for those of you who have little children, parenting all the little things, 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 all that thing, and that thing, and that thing. Where's your shoe? It's just like how you were wearing clothes, but now we're leaving and you're not. How did that happen? And just, there's an escalating urgency. But here's just a little parenting aside, is that you've heard the, this cliche before, that all the little things are big to little people, Right? If we're attentive to our little people with their little things, when they're bigger, they will come to us with the big things. Right? I want my kids to come to me with big things. So I have to tell myself, pay attention to them with the little thing. God cares about the little things. He's a person. He's our father. He knows about it all, but he still wants us to tell, us about, tell him about it. Why? Because it's a real conversation. It's real information. I might already know something that happened in your day, but it doesn't mean I don't want you to tell me about your experience of it, because I want to know you. I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. And this is what it's like with God. There's a sense here that God is open to us and wants us to come to him with, with, pre- with, with urgency, with even pestering. There's different types of prayer. There's, there's petitionary prayer where I'm coming to ask God. There's intercessory prayer where I'm like praying for other people. And I, I've kind of, you know, read some books and, you know, did some theology classes. And I kind of feel like, you know, that whole asking prayer is just a little bit immature. It's not. It is not immature to just ask God for things. It is not immature. We never get past asking God. Just asking God. Isn't it more commendable to practice less selfish kind of prayers? I don't know. The New Testament doesn't really give us any indication of that. When the disciples said, how should we pray? Jesus said, well, ask God for your daily bread. Ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to keep you from temptation and to deliver you from evil. Right? Just there's other things like adoration and, and, and there's other kinds of prayer, but it wasn't like, well, you know, don't think about yourself too much. Philippians chapter 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, so you're anxious. You come to God and say, here's what's going on. Peace of God comes and transcends our understanding. doesn't make sense. And it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Asking is a form of prayer we can never outgrow. We're never too sophisticated or mature to get past asking. Richard Foster says that that kind of attitude is is like false spirituality. And that hit me hard this past week. Well, I have a master's degree, so I should know. 
Prayer is more about being formed by the prayer you pray to God and less about what you need from God. I'm like, where did that come from? Yeah, prayer is formational. It shapes us into a kind of a person, right? Prayer, prayer forms us, but I just need God to do things for me because I can't do them on my own. Petition is not a lower form of prayer. It is our staple diet. In a childlike expression of faith, we bring our daily needs and desires to our Heavenly Father. God desires authentic dialogue. And as we speak what is on our hearts, we are sharing real information that God is deeply interested in. Why? Because God is a person in relation to us. Just because God already knows our, our needs doesn't mean he's bored when we bring them to him. He doesn't roll our eyes. As parents, when a child comes to them with, with whatever, it's like, oh, look at you, your little messy nose. I'll come here. I mean, that's a good day, I guess. But, but God delights in us coming to him with our needs. He's not like, ah, fine. You, 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 you know? He's like, yeah, you're my child. I, I'm so happy that you stopped to talk to me. Every prayer we utter to God is received with love because it's about the relationship. My, my children have never painted me a bad picture, right? None of their pictures they've drawn for me are bad, right? It's like, wow. You know, we have, we have a seven-year-old who's still in that zone of just like, here, I brought this, or you come to your bedside and it's there. You know? They're amazing. You should see them. God is never put off by our coming to him. There's these parables in the, in the Bible about persistent people, and I'm like, are you sure? Like, this persistent widow goes to an angry, uh, an unjust judge. And she's like harassing the judge that he would be lenient on her. And he's like so annoyed. And finally, because of her persistence, he caves in. And Jesus says, that's what God is like. Like, what? That doesn't fit my paradigm. That's in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 11, again, there's a persistent neighbor. It's like some people coming over to my house. I don't have enough food. Hey, I need knocking on the door, middle of the night. And in those days, their streets were really like close and the houses were really close. So he's kind of shaming his neighbor for not opening the door, right? I need, I need some bread to feed to my guests. And because of his persistence, the guy got out of bed, all right, drags his feet <laughs> to give him the bread. And this is like God. Like, what? Is God... Can I, can I do that with God? I can, like, I can like reason and negotiate and like say, well, hey, well, Abraham did in Genesis chapter 18. He's like, God, so like, please don't judge the city of Sodom. If there's like, you know, and he worked him down to like, started off at like, well, I can't remember the number. But God said, okay, if there's that many righteous people, I won't destroy the city. And he said, well, okay, well, how about Okay, well, if you want to do it for, if you want to destroy the city for 100 people, how about for 75? It's like, sure. Like, it's, it goes back and forth. It's like, a, it's like a used car lot. He's like, working it out. 
And God's like, yeah, okay, for 10 people, I won't judge Sodom. Like, oh. Moses did it. He, in the Bible, God was like, I'm so tired of these Israelites. They are really killing me here. They're complaining. I brought them out of slavery. They want to go back, eat the good food there. I'm done with them. I'm just going to start over. And Moses is like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that, God. You can't do that. Because like, everyone will know that like, the word will get out and you'll have a bad name. And God's like, yeah, you got a point, Moses. And I don't, know, don't, don't take that too far, but I think God has included us far more than we realize in how things go. God's included us far more than we think on how things go. That's what we were created for. When, we were, when human beings were created, they were created to, have, to reign over creation with God in the garden. And sin broke that, that relationship. Because why? Because we became concerned about our own agendas. Right? We became concerned and worried and judgmental and fearful. Worrying about our own little thing. And God's like, no, no, I made you for a bigger thing. You know, again, God's been speaking. Rachel at the piano, she's like, when we get up in the morning, am I worried about my own, my own kingdom? Or am I thinking, okay, God, I'm a part of a bigger kingdom. How's that going to look for us today? Okay, this is what, what we're created for. I don't want to blow up anybody's brains on how things go in... Sorry, that isn't the right way to say it. I don't want to, like, shatter paradigms here, but at the end of this age, we're not just going to float away and go somewhere else. We are going to rule and reign with Christ on the earth. The new Jerusalem comes out of heaven, and we are going to be kings and priests and ruling a new creation. Heaven and earth will join. And Jesus says, I've come to bring heaven to earth now. It started. It's already happening. And when you come and pray and ask that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, we're getting, we're getting going with that. When we pray, we're training for the day that we rule and reign with Christ. It's not just about getting our daily needs met. It's also about having a say in what happens. Having a say. God, this person really needs help. So we begin to practice, we begin to train, we begin to participate with God's kingdom coming on earth as heaven. So we have real agency in a real relationship with God. It's not a formula, though, is it? That's where we go wrong. When it becomes a math equation. Okay, Jesus said, and, and it sounds like it in some, some texts, right? John chapter 16, I say to you, Jesus said in John 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. There's lots of verses that seems like Jesus is saying like carte blanche, just ask and it will be yours. And so then we've devised all of this theology like, okay, well, if you ask and it doesn't happen, that means, mm, oh, it's got to mean you're probably sinning. Or you, somebody doesn't have enough faith. Or... Um, why didn't it happen? Um, I don't know. Like, and, and so we have this formula that it has to be like this because Jesus said, but what we don't recognize here is that when Jesus said this stuff, he's, he's, um, sorry, I went ahead of myself, so I got to go find. 
There's always an assumption that we're praying according to his will. There's always an assumption that we're abiding with him. There's always an assumption that there is some kind of like partnership with God, that I'm not building my own kingdom, that I'm not just, I think this would be great. But I think we have to stop here and really recognize that it is a bit of an elephant in the room. Like, what about all our prayers that, that don't seem to get answered? What, what about how to... How, I, we, we can't skip over that question because we all have it, right? We'd be scared to ask it in church. And we try to figure it out. We have to acknowledge that this is a real, a real problem. C.S. Lewis said, every war, every famine or plague, almost every deathbed is, is a monument to a petition that was not granted. It's just an honest real like acknowledgement that, yeah, we have seen and experienced things that we've prayed for that didn't come to pass, that seemed like something God would want, and it didn't happen. And so these monuments are often the cause for our disillusionment with God. For some, it even leads them to a decision to stop believing that God is there at all. So we have to acknowledge this is a real problem, and we have to admit deep perplexity over it. God is powerful and he's loving. He can help. Sometimes there are miracles. Sometimes there aren't. And any answer we can give to this is partial. Any, any answer we can give to this is partial. We stand under a mystery of the ways of God. Uh, we're told in Scripture we, we see things now dimly. One day we will see them clearly, but now we are, it's like we're looking through a glass darkly. We see dimly. So, you know, maybe there's some reasons God is a good father, having a higher vantage point than us. Um, sometimes his refusals are, are better for us. Uh, times maybe there is an answer, but we just, our eyes can't see the answer. We can't comprehend or accept it. Um, times he gives us other gifts than what we're asking for. Rather than healing, we receive compassion to comfort those who grieve the way we grieve because of the loss. Um, it's a mixed bag. God's ways are, are mysterious. But we're left with the promise that he's a good father. And he gives good gifts. Yeah. So we have to remember the metaphor, children asking parents. We can negotiate and we can reason, but there's no silver bullet, Right? There's no silver bullet. If I do it this way, then for sure it will happen. I know parent, kids, you know, you have that, well, okay, if you ask mom and dad this this way, they're probably going to say yes, right? Don't, don't we do the same thing? Okay, we got to do this, and then God will do it. <laughs> it's like kids huddling in the corner, talking about mom and dad, get them on a good day. It's not like that. There's no silver bullet. And in a relationship between persons, right? It's not how things work. Parents are never obligated to grant their children's request in the way that they ask. But here it is. A parent's goal in navigating their child's request is to think about their ultimate goal of raising them to be wise and mature adults. And the same is true of God and us. So again, 
these answers are partial. It doesn't, it doesn't probably speak to that ache in your heart over someone you've lost. It, it, because again, it's mystery. Again, we're talking about things we don't know. But we know that God is good and he gives good gifts and he's a good father. So we're learning to reign with God. It's our destiny. Learning to relate and partner with God in, in dynamic creativity. It's dynamic, right? I think sometimes we, we revert to this like, there's like classical theology that wasn't, didn't come from like Jewish thought. You know, Christianity came out of Judaism. And then as, it, as Christianity emerged out of Judaism, it was heavily influenced by a lot of Greek thought, like Plato. And there are like these theological principles like God is the unmoved mover, right? God cannot be moved, you know? But that's not never something we read in, the, in Israel's scriptures or the Christian New Testament. And sometimes, and I've been subject to it too, I think God just is going to do what God's going to do anyway. And so it's really defeating to pray. Because I'm like, yeah, I know it's good for me to pray and talk to God, but it feels like things are just always set in motion. And... But we're, we're being trained for the day when we will reign with Christ. When God's will fully comes to earth as it is in heaven. Currently, we live in a world where there's sin in us. It hinders our prayers. Sin in others. The consequences of these sins play out and affect the answers to our prayers. There's a devil who continues to tempt and, and destroy and, and manipulate and, and ruin God's creation. And people still have free will, right? People still have free will. And so our prayers are affected by these things. God never dominates someone's will. Remember we go back to not judging or harassing others into righteousness? God influences, he doesn't coerce. And so even when we're praying, God's not going to force someone to do something. And so it's complex why prayer is or isn't answered. There's lots of factors. It's not just God going, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. But we can become non-anxious people who trust in God and become co-workers in creation with him. By praying, okay, God, you see this, you know this, help. God, you see this need I have, help. You see this need, you see this need, help, help. We need you. Just, we never get past it. Would this happen, God? Maybe this should happen. I think this should happen. I think this should happen. Labor over it, persist in it, bother God, annoy him, bother him. Pastor, keep going. He says, just keep, keep it coming. He wants, he wants us to just drive him crazy, praying for things. It's kind of wild. It kind of blew my mind this week. The final line of this passage says, in conclusion, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Which kind of seems like left field. But I think this is like a, a conclusion to the whole thought process of this sermon, right? It's about relating well to each other and to God. 
It's about the freedom between people. How do you want someone else to treat you? Well, treat them that way. And another thing is interesting. Sorry, again, I feel like I'm... This wasn't like a unique Christian idea. Did you know that this is like a wisdom tradition that comes from all different parts of the world, a a basis of it, you know? Um, In Buddhism, they have something. It says, whatever is disagreeable to yourself, do not do unto others. Confucianism, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Hinduism, this is the sum of duty. Do not do unto others that which would cause you pain if done to you. And I think that's fine. I think Jesus taps into like a common held wisdom tradition about treating people properly. And then he says, here in our context, this relational wisdom is the way my kingdom works. This is the way God's kingdom works. You know how to give good gifts to your children, just like the Father knows how to give good gifts to you. So be good, like your Father in heaven is good. So how would you want your Father to treat one another this way? Be holy, as your Father in heaven is holy. Be good, just as your Father in heaven is good. Treat one another. And he's just saying, you know how to do this. You were all created in the image of God. You know how to give good gifts. Just do it. Just bless. Just don't hold back good from those who you have the power to give good to. Don't, don't hold things over each other's head. Don't just flow with this goodness of God that was even revealed to people in different corners of the world with different religions. This general principle of being good to one another. Just as your heavenly Father is good. I'm going to ask Nick and the worship team to come back. In sum, let's do to one another as we would have them do to us. We don't coerce, we don't manipulate, we don't control. We ask, we request, we seek. We come to God, we trust that he hears us, that he wants to answer prayers according to his will. He's working things out for our good. And we're in a dynamic relationship with him. We're in a dynamic relationship with God. So we're going to take time to pray. Uh, I'm going to invite those who are on the prayer team to come forward. And if you have a need, we want you to bring it. We want you to come and just say, God, I need you. Would you come? I have this need. We just want to take some time and pray, worship. You know, we're, we're getting to the point it's 1130. Um, so if you have to go, God bless you. Uh, we do have a newcomer's lunch, so don't leave if you're part of the newcomer's lunch. But we're going to take some time to pray. I invite you to stay for prayer. I invite you to stay to worship. I invite you to stay for the newcomer's lunch down in the fireside room. Um, what, would you stand and would you come? Let me, let me close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you showed us the heart of a good father. That you call us by name to belong to you. You call us by name to be your children. So I thank you that you see us, that you know us, that you care for us, and you want to work on our behalf for the good of your creation that you're redeeming and restoring. Help us to participate with you, Jesus. Help us to walk with you. Help us. We need you. Would you come, Lord Jesus, and help? Lord, I come.